0: We need to understand that in the end, people are trying to solve a different problem in which they need financial services. And I really like, I think embedded finance is is bringing that much more clearly to to the equation because it shows us the way of how financial services could get much closer to the thing that people actually want. You're listening to Payments Innovation, a podcast dedicated to helping business leaders navigate today's global digital economy. Looking to learn about the latest innovations within FinTech and payments? You've come to the right place. Let's get into the show.
1: Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Payments Innovation Podcast. This is your host, Alex Barr from Currency Cloud. And today I'm joined by Don Hinzel, CEO of Holland FinTech Association. How are you, Don? Very nice, uh, Alex. Uh, very nice to be here with you. Now, people people can't see this, uh, actually, at the moment, but I've seen Don is it has a very nice background at the moment. Don, tell us where you are.
0: I'm in Switzerland at the moment. I'm taking a long weekend uh, break to uh, put on some skis and uh, test some powder, uh, and it's actually quite sunny out here, so I can definitely think that some of the listeners would uh, envy
1: uh, the view that I have. it. <laughs> I'm not sure that they would envy mine, actually, with a grey London, but I think I'm sure <laughs> they'll take yours. Look, Don, great to have you with us on. For our listeners uh, and those that may not not know who you are, um, we'd love to know a little bit about you and 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 what you're doing with Holland Fintech.
0: Yeah, of course. No, I'd love to tell a bit about that. Uh, no, so maybe personally, you know, I have a, a small family with uh, one daughter, Anna, my wife, Rieke, uh, and uh, we live uh, close to Amsterdam uh, um, and... Uh, yeah, uh, everything's going growing pretty well. Uh, I've been studying civil engineering before, uh, worked some time at a couple of banks, and uh, through venture capital ended up in the startup world, where I entered uh, also a bit of the fintech space. And when I discovered everything that fintech had to offer, uh, I started. I founded Holland Fintech uh, back in uh, 2014, and the whole idea behind it was, uh, you know, while the world is getting more complicated how can we create a place where people can get help to sort it all out? Uh, And I think that's what we're still doing with Holland FinTech at the moment uh, as quite a vivid association uh, with around 300 organizations attached. We're still trying to provide the knowledge to help people understand, you know, where is this whole digital transformation bringing everyone, both from a startup side as well as from an incumbent side. We see that there's lots of questions and especially I think a very strong demand for a social fabric to cope with it all meet each other, discuss, uh, and at the same time also find partners to collaborate with. And so I think that's what we're still doing, and I'm really enthusiastic about it because I think that's, you know, my, my father was a, was a teacher, and I, I can't stop teaching myself a bit. Uh, so everything I learn, I really like to share and give back to, uh, to everyone else uh, in the network, and uh, that's what I really enjoy doing every day.
1: It's, it's great, Don. It's, it's, it's awesome to see that where, you, where you've come from since 2014. We're obviously a member, and we're a member through our... Through our... Our, our Dutch entity, but mm-hmm. remind me, you're not just, um, despite the name Holland FinTech. You're, you're, you have clients at pan-European. Is that right?
0: No, that's correct. So we're we we're, we're taking a, really, a relatively wide approach to uh, who should be able to join, as we really see that you know a financial. Uh, financial value chains are not no longer shaped within country borders. Uh, so if you look actually what's shaping financial services in, in any country, you'll see that it's actually quite a, a worldwide network that that spuns together to actually mm. create these services. And for us, the whole perspective is, okay, if everyone's in this game, why don't we bring everyone together? So indeed, yeah, we did start out with this perspective of, you know, Holland in mind, like, you know, something should happen here. But very soon we actually realized that, you know, to real to understand what's going on in the mm. Netherlands, you actually yeah. need to look across all borders to actually figure out who's attached to this, who's who's supplying what, who's participating, who's, uh, who's joining us. And that's why we really opened this up as well. From the perspective, you know, everyone has some has some distinct relationship to the Dutch market, should be able to join in on the conversation because it's actually one ecosystem.
1: Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. Um, given given then that you have such like a obvious and broad exposure to fintech and tech across Europe I'd love to know more about god it's 2022 now of course looking back last year um in 2021 what were the what were those key points that you like that you learned or that was cropping up in the industry um through your work with the association what was I suppose like, like those key points and highlights from last year
0: So uh, uh, if I would look at the the past year, uh, what I've seen is actually that, of course, uh, uh, given COVID, there's been quite some changes in the financial landscape. So uh, all services have been going digital. And I think everyone's, uh, I think it has accelerated across Europe uh, to to a large extent. So I think it has continued. One of the things that unfortunately also triggered was uh, an increased amount of fraud cases. So while people were much more detached from each other and actually sort of Kind of missed the checks and balances that they would normally have while being at the same place at an office or an event or anywhere else they were much more easy to fool uh, to trigger into you know wiring money to the wrong person or going into dodgy investment schemes. I think that those are one of the things that I think will worry me a bit about developments over the past two years. Things that are more favorable I think is that I think let 's say most services have been completely converted to fully digital now. So I think everyone is able to use services to a a large extent digitally without having to go to a branch, which is something that I think actually about three years ago was still pretty normal for a lot of people. Mm. People wouldn't think about going to a branch these days uh, anymore, uh, which I think is a big improvement. Although we should also realize that uh, that also excludes several groups of people think about elderly that actually might be very attached to their visit to the bank, uh, for example, uh, but I, I think that goes with any change. Uh, any change brings challenges as well as opportunities.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um,
0: uh, we 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 can't stop by mentioning, of course, NFTs is somewhere somewhere in in this uh, this game. I think that especially twenty twenty one has been the year that NFTs has been have been very high on the agenda uh, everywhere. Uh, you could argue whether it's actually a financial product or something else, but. Um, You see in any case that the whole blockchain movement, uh, which, you know, we started out with Bitcoin, then it turned into blockchain, then it became distributed ledger, then it became tokenization, and now we're in NFTs. Sometimes it's a bit of the same game in a new world, but I think um, it's a very interesting development. So I think it gives quite some potential, especially if you extend that towards developments like uh, the metaverse, for example, Mm. where uh, you actually create a digital uh, environment and digital economy which could really benefit from uh, NFT-like products. That you know, validated value is something that's that's pretty important, I think, for these spaces. Mm. But in some cases, you of course also see that with these developments, uh, sometimes people we'll go crazy and pay a lot of money for well, wind trade we would call it. Uh,
1: your, uh, is it something that your um, that your members uh, and you uh, are thinking about for 2022 as well? Like you, you mentioned, obviously a few key points there. I'm going to start with the. The crypto DeFi, whichever whichever word you'd like to use, is it is it something is it something that you're you're obviously keeping a close eye on? I mean, I personally am as well, thinking that yep. this is going to be coming into the to the to the mainstream more so this year than it ever has. I'd be very no, keen to exactly. your view.
0: No, so there, there's a lot going on, and a lot of our members are are in this space. And I think that you know, cryptocurrencies, uh, uh, blockchains, or let's say the technology behind it, has uh, is very versatile. And there's a lot of applications that could be, could be uh, passed on to it. And so, from that perspective, especially, I think uh, decentralized finance is a really interesting field. There's a lot to be learned already from everything that's been uh, learned in the uh, in the whole wave of crowdfunding that we saw coming up, right? Which mm. is, a, I think, a couple of years back, already showed the way. I think there are much more opportunities by looking at uh, at uh, adding this technology to that game, uh, but at the same time, I also see the struggle to really discover where the added value is uh, because sometimes it's it's, it's it's pretty hard to discriminate whether the the proposition towards the end user is actually much different than it already was mm. uh, that's that's one of the challenges I think but I, I'm pretty sure that there's a lot of cases where we we're slowly moving into real disintermediation. How scary regulators might find that, for example?
1: Well, that, that, that was my next question, actually. And thank you for helping me lead on to this organically is let lots, of, lots of fintechs, tech companies are coming up with super innovative ideas, very new and cutting edge propositions for the market. What do you think that there's, the regulator obviously has a role in this and naturally will do for the future? I'm keen on your stance about the pace of which a fintech might move as, as opposed to the, <laughs> the pace of which the regulator may need to keep up, right?
0: Yeah, uh, well, this is always a pretty tough challenge, right? And I think one of the things that we're seeing uh, uh, traditionally over the past years, uh, I'm talking about decades, we've seen that actually most of the waves of growth companies that, that have been started, they've been starting in a, a sort of a regulatory window of opportunity. So, for example, take about all the payment firms. I think, let's say, in the Dutch market, in any case, it's, it, it's becoming like a Valhalla for payment firms because everyone's there and there's just so much knowledge and expertise available that's going around that's, that's really helping a lot of companies to, to scale from there. Yeah. But where did that come from? It actually started with uh, the growth of e-commerce online, where payment services were required. And while they actually were not regulated very strongly by uh, the financial regulators. So they were much more seen like an internet service than something like a bank. Mm. So uh, there was a very big opportunity to start services like these which is completely different, of course, these days. When you think about the fact how strictly uh, payment companies have been regulated or EMIs or uh, PSPs, think about the whole AML game that has been uh, mixed in over the past two years that have very strongly influenced, I think, the, uh, the, the attractiveness of FinTech as a place to start your business. So I think that really changes everything from that perspective. And I think the same goes for a lot of solutions that we talk now about, DeFi or very innovative cases. If it looks a bit like something that might be scary or that they might recognize as as something that poses risks to society or the financial system, they will crack down on it very fiercely and nothing will happen. And it's pretty hard to scale from there. But if it looks a bit more harmless and it's a bit outside of the financial system uh, as we know it, There's tons of opportunities to do this, so I think especially there on the border uh, is where a lot of things are going to happen. And this for example, that what we saw with the buy now pay later craze, right? Is what which which we saw over the past two years. Sure. Uh, Slightly outside of the field of uh, finance, and has been
1: booming like crazy. Do you think um, that then the the regulator is 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 reliant, or some regulators? Again, I'm not I'm not I'm not choosing a jurisdiction of of any note here. But do you think every regulator has um, has a need to speak to the market participants in order to to solve these problems, if there are you know as and when they arise?
0: Oh, for sure, yeah. Because I I think the, uh, the, the, the I think everyone's struggling to really understand what's happening and where things are moving. Mm. Uh, and if you're then standing on the sideline without really interacting with the field, I think you just can't get it. Uh, and I th- But I'm, I'm afraid that not all regulators understand this. So I think I, I do see a lot still really standing on the sideline or uh, bringing pretty dogmatic views to the market uh, that they're trying to regulate, which is in a complete flux towards something else than that they're used to. And uh, that, that worries me a bit from time to time. So I, I would encourage any regulator anywhere to to just engage with the market as much as they can, because everyone's learning at the moment. Uh, and the more we share, I think, the faster we understand where things are heading, and that would guide us towards where the risks the risks for you know consumers, businesses, you know users of financial services, or for society or the financial system as a whole, where they would appear. Uh, and I think that that's where. Um, Maybe even also because some of the, 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 the fines we've been seeing uh, around AML, for example, uh, across Europe, uh, they do put the regulators at a bit more distance from the market than they used to be. Uh, and I think that's tricky.
1: And that's the point that we were talking about before this 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 AML piece, and it's one I'd like to dive into a a, a little bit, it it being a a societal service or or a client service. I'd love you to expand on on, on what you were saying. Uh, I suppose it's probably an interesting point that your association is going to be diving into in 2022.
0: No, for sure. I, I think the let's say let's take one thing straight i do think indeed that the financial industry has a role to play to fight financial crime <laughs> uh and especially on, around on uh,
1: record john it's on record
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's, 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 but there's a role to play but 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 i think at the moment let's say the what i do think is that it's actually a, a a game that let's say if i would compare it to who should be responsible if i compare it to other services it's more like a police task than anything else and that's where i my worry is especially that i don't see that much responsibility taking at the government side so they try to push this file away towards the financial industry to just solve it while they they're not being paid for it yeah you know you don't get paid for any crime that you find or all the transactions that you monitor you get lousy instructions on how to do it i think it's it's prone to 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 go wrong it's prone to that people that you know banks will make mistakes payment firms will make mistakes when they do this screening and it's highly inefficient Because actually, if you don't report uh, something, you will actually are much more likely to find. So you'll get over-reporting, which means that the the financial intelligence units, you know, that work, that are part of the police force that actually do the actual screening of the crime, they get flooded with information. Mm. And they might as well just look at the whole thing. So it's actually, so because if you get sent, you know, if 50% of transactions are being reported, what's the use of this reporting? You might as well look at the whole stack because you actually can much better figure out what's connected to what uh, if you have the whole stack. So and also, so I really, so I do understand that this is something that you know, ten years ago it was impossible to get the data to the inspectors, so that the the screening would have to take place at the you know the data center of banks. Made mm-hmm. all sense. It wasn't going anywhere else. The data. Well, if we look now at open banking as it is, we know that all this data could go anywhere, sure, including to the FIU directly. And then my question is, why don't we think about how do we get the best algorithms to track down this? And this is where I think the financial industry has an intelligence obligation, right? How to get smarter at finding the bad guys. Sure. But make sure that the, res- the end responsibility of who's going to be chased uh, and, and in what way, that should be in police hands, in government hands, I believe.
1: That was actually my next question. I think really is then how do how does the financial industry, the fintech industry, look to create experiences then for for customers that validates really that they they know who they're dealing with, right? That that's I think that's the question I'm asking. No, exactly.
0: So so I think that that's the next step is because I, th- I think now everyone's trying to do their best to create a even though they have to do all this screening and know your customer uh, you know, re-engagement processes, uh, which I think puts in a lot of resistance uh, in the financial system. At the same time, they're trying to keep serving their customers in a proper way and keep financial services run smoothly. But indeed, indeed given, the, uh, let's say, what I think financial services companies should be focusing on much more is actually how do we guard our customers and keep them safe? Because I think that's much more aligned with their role because they want to be a trusted partner. So if you could actually validate, for example, a that a bank or a payment service provider could actually validate, for example, who you're wiring money to and yeah. validate if that's actually the actual person you're trying to wire the money to. Uh, or, for example, to offer escrow-like services when you're doing an online trade and you're not certain whether you're going to receive the goods Or that kind of information, I believe, whether, for example, to trust certain messages from, I don't know, uh, uh, social media channels. I think these services are much more appreciated these days because people just don't know. They're very much, I think, in the blind on all the risks that they run in doing uh, online business. Well, it doesn't mean we stop online business because I think the, the, the scale of opportunities is still much bigger than the scale of trouble. But we need to help people. And I think this, this is where there's a big opportunity to for, this, for the financial industry. But if they just get to focus on AML, I don't think that they're getting to this.
1: Do you think there's a more qualitative approach? By the way, I do agree with all of your points. But do you think there's more of a, a qualitative approach in financial education? Um, you see a huge rise of wealth apps, wealth tech, you mm-hmm. know, and the proliferation yeah. of buy now, pay later. Do you think there's an opportunity for financial education on, on top of that? Because uh, I think we've never been more financially educated, in my opinion.
0: No, exactly. So I, I think that's where we've we, let's say financial education is still pretty poor across general education. So people that uh, have to go and get a mortgage or get insurance or anything else, they they don't really get a lot of education to be to know how to be able to do that. But what I do what 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 I think the good thing is about these days is that we could actually shape experiences that can guide them through the process of proper decision making. Right. So and I think mm. that's also what you're referring to if you talk yeah, about these exactly. wealth They can help you, you know, shape the risk in your portfolio, have a long term perspective, you know, try to picture potential risks, trying to picture, you know, the potential purpose of what you're doing it for to make sure that they actually, you know, guide you a a bit, notch you in the right direction. Uh, And I think that's really valuable. I think that's something that a lot of people need, but ideally it's actually not just a financial services game. It's, it probably should be extended into, at least into e-commerce or beyond. Yeah. Uh, Because of course it's, it's a bit weird if we, based on one hand, you get parties to advertise at will to try and get people to buy stuff that they don't need. And then try the financial transaction party to actually try and fix it, so it fits in the budget, <laughs> right? That's a bit of a weird game. <laughs> um, uh, and the same goes, for example, I, I don't know. We've got quite some trouble over the past years as well with uh, phony advertisements to buy crypto, right? So you got they, they, uh, uh, a brand that was used, uh, a familiar brand like uh, like uh, uh, the the, the uh, NOS in the Netherlands, which is like the BBC in the UK. Like a trusted brand that was sort of saying like, oh, these parties are, these people are making so much money, read here how it goes. And it's basically just a scam for people to get them to buy crypto. Well, the question is, is this a financial services problem? Because it's just a scam, right? It's just someone offering something that's not exactly what they say it is. And they they basically lie to you in the process. And you could argue, well, it's called, cool. it's it's about crypto, so it's financial services. But they could be basically be offering, you know, paintings, wood, or uh, uh, square meters of grassland here in the Alps. It actually doesn't matter what they were offering, they're just a scam. And that's really interesting, because I think that they actually ask for a much more collaborative approach between financial services parties and beyond, to actually try and figure out how to solve these challenges. Because it doesn't matter for a user... Who is the party behind it? They just need to understand the message and understand, get a get a grip on who they're dealing with and whether it's trustworthy or not. So I think there's a lot to be done there.
1: I I completely agree there. Um do you think then this has um like we can't we can't not have a podcast and talk about the word embedded finance that's you know taking <laughs> sure. taking the word. It was on my the, the tip of my tongue. <laughs> yeah, and taking the taking the financial world by storm as it were do you think this is all all in in interlinked per se I'd be keen on your view here for, for what I'd be, and the association's view your personal view on how all of we've discussed here in the last what 15, 20 minutes is is interlinked in this and 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 where the obligation lies
0: no there is so I, th- I think I'll let better finance i think is a really uh, interesting development uh, because I think and I hope it also shows that there's hardly any intrinsic demand for financial services, right? So it's basically like the rails that need a train, right? Um, people want something, and in the process of getting that thing that they want, they need financial services. Mm. It's not the other way around. It's people that don't go like, you know, oh, why don't I go go get a mortgage today? right that's that's not going to happen they want to live they want a house they want something and in the process they need a mortgage to get there and so there it's 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 secondary which is not per se bad it's still it's still is important it's just that we need to understand that in the end people are trying to solve a different problem sure. in which they need financial services yeah um And I really like, I think embedded finance is is bringing that much more clearly to the the equation because it shows us the way of how financial services could get much closer to the thing that people actually want. And that's the part that I like about it, right? So I think it brings it much closer to the user experience who is just out to buy something, get something, uh, assure something, plan something. And at that moment, you just want the financial services to be there at your service.
1: Sure, absolutely. Um,
0: yeah, but it has been pretty hard because I think as well. I mean, I've heard some discussions quite, quite, quite recently as well, where people were saying like, you know, I still don't get it. What, what, what's, what, why is it so interesting to do something with fintech, right? So, why, why should we care? And I think it's pretty hard sometimes for people that are not in the industry to really understand why should they care, because it's all pretty technical. Because we're all, uh, you know, working on open banking. We're working with new regulations. We're working with quite technical stuff. A lot of jargon going around. Okay, but then how how do we explain all this? And this is actually where I think we, we are also forced as an industry to really speak the language of the user in the end, whether that's a business or a consumer or the government. I think in the end, there's a user that we need to just explain that we're a part of a solution rather than the end goal. And I think that's also something that would fit well, I think, with sort of the the humbleness, I think, that the financial industry has been taught after the financial crisis uh, in 2009, that it fits well to actually uh, take that role as a supportive one, rather than mm. to be upfront and say, you know, we're, we're, we're the kings, we have this cool stuff here that everyone wants, because that's just not the case. At the same time, I think it also brings people to collaborate across industries, much stronger. Uh, and, and yeah, I think just as, as I mentioned around fraud, for example, uh, it's it's much necessary that we do that.
1: Is there anything that you see? Uh, like obviously, this 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 past year, and I think we're going to continue to see this year. We've seen we've already talked about buy now, pay later being key part of embedded finance and e-commerce. Mm-hmm. Uh, we I, I think there's a huge the huge role in in. in embedded investment programs acorns is a good example roundups and things do you think do you what what do you think is this 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 next iteration that you see for your members of embedded finance maybe like the it it not being such a scary word for non-fintech folk but what where where do you see where, where where do you see it next in your members in your member base
0: so what what I find especially interesting that over the past time I've seen especially a lot of interest from tech companies outside of fintech that all understand that they need to collaborate with fintech for yeah. uh, completion of their proposition yeah uh, absolutely. and and, I, and and that's that's what I find a very interesting development so the, there's the demand is is on the rise mm. and uh that's also what i think as as with Holland fintech we're trying to aim for is how do we open up properly towards that demand and how do we uh, uh, you know, figure out where does the customer demand in the end comes from and how do we make sure that we, we help forge the partnerships to actually then deliver those financial services as part of anything else. So th- that's what I'm really keen on to further explore also in the coming year as, uh, as uh, I, I, I truly agree with you that the Metis Finance is going to be pretty big on the agenda coming up. Awesome. Alex, uh, but uh, I mean, for you, it also has been quite a special year, right? So in twenty twenty one, tell me about your journey. Uh, I mean, acquisition by visa is not nothing, right? So uh, that's it's quite challenging. But for the rest, uh, currency cloud also doing quite well, I think, in uh, in their growth. How's
1: it been for you? Well, that's a good question. Um, I suppose well, last year was was I suppose pretty phenomenal, right? For for the business, business growth continued. I think we grew our customer base by 150 clients or so. Um, on the personnel side, we grew up to about a team of just over 500. Yes, yeah, quite a lot of us now. Um, yeah. we, we went completely remote, of course, globally, which had its challenges, of course, but had its merits, I suppose, during the COVID times, or still yep. continued times. On top of that, we fully expanded into into the into the APAC market, went in yeah. with our first office in Singapore, i think that's going to be a huge opportunity for is a huge opportunity for us and will be in the coming years we began and uh, ex, well expanded our, our, our teams directly into support uh spanish clients french clients german clients with with na- full native speaking teams um nice. <laughs> yeah and obviously you mentioned that you know the the the, the big part we, we got fully uh in in december we got officially acquired by visa so I suppose, yeah that's the last but not not, not least so yeah year of, of big changes but remaining very close to our customers and uh, trying to deliver the best solutions possible for people's new ideas within my remit, which is wealth and wealth tech. um, I suppose we set ourselves a pretty big target last year to be the partner of choice, if you want to call it that. And now, what is it, nearly 18 18 months on, we've got a full department dedicated to it. And uh, yeah, going from strength to strength, working with, you know, Neo wealth management companies or traditional wealth management companies, yep. um, and we're now well. I, su- I suppose you can call an engine behind a lot of them.
0: So, uh, how does that work? Just, just uh, curious to get a bit of an understanding on how, how do you work with these uh, with these firms on wealth tech?
1: So inherently, when when a customer wants to to purchase a financial instrument, let's say it's a US dollar stock, for example, there needs to be a there needs to be a moment where a customer is. Depositing funds, maybe converting funds into another currency, and and making a payment out to somebody to purchase that underlying asset, and and Currency Cloud provides a lot of that infrastructure to the players in the market in order to 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 power a lot of these applications that we see in the world.
0: Yeah, ah, cool. But I think that's also already again your your example of a nice case of embedded finance, right? Because I think a lot of people are not actively making use of your uh, your service in the process. It's just part of the process.
1: Yeah, exactly. And that's the way I try to explain currency cloud to people, right? It's, it's merely as a, is a payments receivables infrastructure, right? That can be utilized in in multiple different ways. I, I like to call it probably to the pain of my product team, payments and cross border receivables Lego, right? And it's, <laughs> and, and people can use it in the, in the different ways that they like. I
0: like the Lego concept uh, a lot. I think it's really, uh, uh, I think that's, I try to always get people to understand fintech as Lego. It just offers you all the building blocks to do any kind of commerce. And I think that, that, I I hope always, because I think I like that Lego inspires to build. And I believe that tech should do the same.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think that's how our CEO tries to position Currency Cloud, right? In, in, in a different guise, really. He positions it as the as the secret pipes behind a lot of a lot of fintech. We might not be doing the sexy stuff on the front, but we're actually doing the the hard building blocks behind behind the scenes. Exactly.
0: Exactly. Really nice. Really nice. Well, congratulations on a great year, then, uh, <laughs> Alex.
1: Thank you very much. Let's hope twenty twenty two is exactly the same, right? And uh, I'm sure the visa acquisition that will mean we can do more much quicker.
0: Yes, with one edition, uh, I do hope to be able to meet you in person again soon, and the uh, same with for our other members and uh, all the people that we know, uh, because I'm, uh, I'm kind of fed up with uh, just looking at a screen.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely, uh, and I hope. Uh, well, I don't know what the rules are like in Holland at the moment. Have they have they started to release? Uh, give you a bit uh, slightly of yeah
0: yeah so I think I think we're all starting to to understand now that uh, the omicron is uh, not really uh, as uh, as fierce as uh, the previous varieties, so the, the the measures are being relieved even though the, the the infections are going to the roof, but we see that the pressure on hospitals is, is relatively low
1: well probably well, I hope to meet you for a beer beat a ballen uh, as soon as possible yeah. when we can get outside for sure for sure yeah <laughs> looking forward so, to that Don look it's been great talking with you today for those that want to find more about the Holland Fintech Association, about you, about what you're doing this year, next year, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you?
0: Well, try hollandfintech.com or just to reach out to me on LinkedIn. Always happy to connect.
1: Perfect. Don, thanks again for joining me, sharing your insight in the fintech space and providing us some of your knowledge as, as wide as it is. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you very much, Alex. It was a lot of fun. Cheers. You've been listening to the Payments Innovation Podcast. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe now in iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. Until next time.